What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the Neighborhood Podcast. I go by the name of Kyle Dabro. Kevin, what's good, man? What's going on, brother? What's going on? Got some interesting topics to talk about today. Uh, We're going to discuss, we're going to have a, a, one of our what if segments. But prior to that, we're going to talk about the amazing resurgence of the Phoenix Suns and being pretty much a a game and a half, a game away from first place, if not the best record in the NBA. We are going to talk about the historic pace that Brooklyn is on right now, and they are just absolutely carving up the entire league and everybody that's pretty much stood in front of them. And then uh, we are going to mention the unfortunate and terrible, terrible tragedy that occurred today in the the world, in the NFL world. Uh, Former NFL player, I forget his last name, Kyle. It's uh, I know it's... uh, Philip Adams. Philip Adams, uh, he killed five people and then himself. And there is another person in the hospital right now in, in critical condition or. Yeah, it's a, it's a critical condition from the reports that I read is that he's basically fighting extremely hardly to like save his own life. Like it's, it's a pretty dire situation in that hospital for that sixth victim. It is just a, a, a terrible day in, in the world when things like this happen. And then of course, when it happens to be a former athlete, it's just, uh, it just hits home and, you know, you just, you kind of feel for it. You're just like, Jesus Christ, like, I can't believe things like this are still happening. But before we get into the gloom and doom, um, I definitely do want to bring up the topic of the Phoenix Suns. Kyle and I did talk about earlier in the season that they were not a surprise, but they were just doing better than a lot of people expected. I mean, the addition of Chris Paul was, of course, massive for a very young team like this. And we all know that Phoenix ended on such a high note last season in the bubble kind of winning out and going perfect. Monty Williams having that incredible speech to encourage the roster for the next upcoming season. And of course you go and you get a young core, you have a great coach, and then you insert a veteran point God as he's been known for the majority of his career in Chris Paul. And you now have an incredible well-oiled machine that is the Phoenix Suns being a game and a half out. So Kyle, your thoughts on just pretty much the turnaround from year to year, from last year to here, and how far this organization has come. Because we all know once Steve Nash left this team, for the majority of that time up until now, this team has been pretty mediocre. I just – I can't believe at how quick they were able to go from just outside of the playoffs last year in the bubble to not only the best in the Western Conference, but the best in the NBA by only a game and a half. they Utah still owns the best record in the league at 38 and 13. The Suns are the second team. I believe they are 36 and 14. They actually have a better record than the Brooklyn Nets and the Brooklyn Nets are, are getting a lot more shine than Phoenix is simply because Brooklyn has Katie Kyrie and James Harden. There's always drama circulating around those guys on who's going to be on the court and who isn't. But when you look at the Suns, just in the last 10 games that they've been playing, they're nine and one. And they're on a, a seven-game win streak. Now, currently, they're playing against the Clippers right now, and that game is actually kind of close. So they could extend it to eight, or they could drop this one and end the winning streak. But even with that said, though, I think the addition of Chris Paul has been amazing for this team. And I think the biggest point that I can make about his addition to the team is just the veteran leadership that he brings and the confidence that he brings to the team, especially to a player like Devin Booker, who – was already a great scorer to begin with before Chris Paul even arrived. Remember, Devin Booker was the guy that scored 70 points against 
the Celtics a couple of years ago, even though they lost that game, it's one of the more incredible performances that we've seen recently within probably the last five to 10 years in the NBA. Not only that, you got DeAndre Ayton, who's just a solid big man down low for the Suns, gets more than a block a game, is always eating up rebounds. Granted, he th- he's not like a huge point scorer, but he can go out there and get you 15, 20 points occasionally here and there. It just though, that three headed monster with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, it's just, uh, it's great. It, but the thing that I want to focus on too for Phoenix is. They've got some depth too. We just look at some of these games, for example. Like I can even look up the the Suns versus Jazz game a couple of days ago. You got Cameron Johnson coming off the bench. He'll he'll drop an occasional eleven to fifteen points. You got Tory. You got Tory Craig. Tory Craig can go out there and get some decent points, get some decent buckets. Dario Saric, same thing. Like I'm gonna tell you right now, established this, veteran. The, the, this team is eight to nine players deep and going into the playoffs, that's going to be a very big thing to focus on because this is the thing. This is really the only thing that I can knock about Phoenix is that they have limited playoff experience. Chris Paul is the guy that has the most playoff experience on the team and he's never been to an NBA finals. So my question to you is just to kind of give you just to pass the ball to you here is what can Phoenix do as far as can they take the regular season success that they've had and transition this into the playoffs despite having limited playoff experience in recent history? Uh, So, I mean, uh, I'm just going to state these are opinions. I know me and Kyle have to kind of put disclosures in our videos because a lot of times we get stat raped and we get a lot of those, you're ridiculous, you don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, um, the reason why I think Phoenix can overcome those difficulties is because of one person and one person alone, and that is Chris Paul. So typically teams like this, when they go on a magical run, they have a great season, they tend to, they, 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 they turn around, you know, previous seasons and then they make it almost like a, a figment of the past. Um, that one veteran player or like two or three veteran players aren't someone as pivotal. It'll be a bench player, maybe a big man, maybe, uh, you know, like I said, maybe maybe a coach, someone that's been there, that's done that, that has been in the shoes of someone else that they they can kind of rally the troops, so to speak. When the focal point of this team, the point guard, the leader, the literal oldest guy on the roster is the, the, the guy that's completely changed the culture of this team, or should I say uplifted the culture even further to the next level? Is Chris Paul, anything is possible. The man has the ball in his hands at all time, controls the pace, plays defense, and is an effective scorer as well. And when you have Devin Booker as your running mate in the backcourt who can literally score pretty much almost anywhere on the floor, I would say you're in pretty good hands. I mean, they do have some veterans that have been in the postseason before. We obviously know Jay Crowder has been in the postseason for almost every single team he's been a part of since he's been in the NBA out of Marquette. We know that Dario Saric has been a multiple play, been into multiple playoffs with the Philadelphia 76ers. We also know that we have Cameron Payne, a veteran NBA uh, backup point guard who's been in the, uh, the postseason a, a number of times and so on and so forth. So they do have veterans to kind of groom those young guys. But when Chris Paul is literally the leader in this locker room, I think anything can happen because he is pretty much the, the, the reason why 
they are in the position that they're in. And when you have one of the greatest point guards of all time leading a team, I just, I just don't really see any negatives to it unless Phoenix goes ice cold and just cannot make shots. I will say this though. You have to give a lot of credit to Monty Williams. I remember you and I, I remember you and I mentioned a couple months ago that I think I was the one that mentioned that he's probably my coach of the year. And doc rivers is probably like right next to him as far as, you know, the leading candidates for coach of the year in the NBA. Um, The one thing that I love about him is that he seems like the perfect fit for this team. He's not like an old head, like where it's somebody like Greg Popovich, where it seems like he's having like a difficulty trying to get the players on the team to get the system that he wants to run. But it seems like with Monty Williams, it just seems like there's a great connection between the coach and the players here. And I think the one nice thing is having Chris Paul as that veteran presence on the team that makes it a little bit easier because you could even make a case that like Chris Paul is almost like, obviously we've known him as a floor general his entire career, but it's almost like having like an assistant out there for just the length of time that he's been in the NBA. I mean, you're talking about over 15 years of experience in the NBA. It's very hard to replicate and have, it's very hard to have somebody on the court like that because a lot of the, a lot of those guys, they don't come very often, you know, Having, he's a coach uh, on the court. He's an extended part of the staff, but he that, plays. That's a big thing to have. And I think it does make Monty Williams job a lot easier than it would be if Chris Paul wasn't on this team. So, yeah. but it I, doesn't I, help I, that, you know, <laughs> and not, not only that, you know, this, this, you know, this team was really close last year to making the playoffs and they could have made it, the, uh, they could have made it interesting in the playoffs last year had they gotten in. Oh man. And, I think that would have been fun to watch. It's just this team has just jumped leaps and bounds from where they were last year. And they're legitimately a finals contending team. I, I'll throw it out there. I'm, I'm not even going to hide from it. Like this team has a very good shot to win the final, has a shot to get to the finals just because they're going up against the best teams in the league and they're scoring. This team could score. I remember they put up like 140 points against OKC. Granted it's OKC, but 140 points They put up 117 against Utah the other day. And Utah is one of the best defensive teams in the league. So I'll tell you what, I, I'm afraid for any team that has to go up against them in the playoffs this year, because that is not a team that you want to face. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's a big fact. And obviously Monty Williams being a player's coach. And like you said, you know, his word kind of being carried out through the court through Chris Paul it just makes them a very scary team right now. It's not like they are 100% inexperienced in, in all positions. You know, like like I said earlier, that, that one veteran player that just happens to be on the roster. Mm-hmm. I think they'll be fine. Obviously, we have Devin Booker sitting here averaging a nonchalant, you know, like a cool, calm, collective 26 points a game. You know what I'm saying? DeAndre Ayton's out here grabbing about 11 rebounds. Chris Paul's averaging just shy of nine assists a game. So, I mean, as a team, they are very well-rounded. And they do have, like you said, a very deep roster. So, they can get efficient scoring and uh, playmaking from other players. Mm-hmm. So, like, like, just to reiterate what you said, I'd be pretty fucking shook to have to go and play Phoenix in the playoffs. So, it- I mean – it's going to be exciting to finally see Devin in the postseason. Like I just, you know, shout out to my boy, Nick Novo. Like he is, he's been a Devin Booker fan for years and he's been saying that Devin's got to leave Phoenix. Thank God he didn't because this seems like the perfect situation. 
And just to hit one more point on Monty Williams, you got to give this guy a lot of credit because a couple of years ago, he lost his wife in a tragic car accident. And Monty Williams is one of the most like respected, most well-liked coaches in the league. And it's just great to see him turn what was probably one of the worst tragedies that anybody can experience in their lives. And then he's able to go out there and just be a great leader for a really good team in the Western Conference that has a really good shot of making the finals this year if they play their cards right. So, you know, it's good. It's really good to see that that Monty Williams has just really excelled at the position that he holds right now. And you have to give him, you know, you, you got to clap it up for that. Big facts, big facts. Monty Williams is a great guy. Monty Williams is a good coach, been in this league for quite some time. And uh, like I said about Devin, I'm happy to see him succeed. Yep. Uh, another team that is succeeding right now and kind of crushing all expectations, not expectations, but crushing all the barriers left in front of them uh, are the Brooklyn Nets. A, a hot and surging team right now. Uh, obviously, KD is back. Kyrie's out here making some crazy moves, and he's also dunking the basketball as of a few nights ago. Um, my question to you is, can they keep this up at this clip, and will they be one of the first teams in NBA history, like we talked about prior to the episode? Um, will they be the first team to literally have to outshoot everyone in order to go down this path to the finals? I think they can. And I don't really care who they have on the court because when you look at this season so far, the amount of games that Kevin Kyrie and James have been on the court has been very little. And yet they're still succeeding very easily. Like if you look at their last 10 games, they're eight and two. They're at the top of the Eastern conference. It was about time that they actually took that first seed over the 76ers. I'm surprised it took them this long. I thought they would have been able to get the first seed a little bit quicker. But with that said, though, it's just the one thing that you have to kind of worry about this team moving forward is their defense. Because the one thing about the regular season is you're going to be able to score. You could look at Milwaukee for the last couple of years. Milwaukee could score. Giannis can go out there and get, you know, 30, 35 points on a regular basis during the regular season. Now, when it comes to the playoffs, though, the intensity of the game changes, the pace of the game changes, and you're going to have to have your best players play up to snuff if you want to get farther into the playoffs. With Kyrie, James, and KD, I expect them to go out and compete like they always have. These guys are championship contending players, or excuse me, championship caliber players. I know James hasn't been to a finals but he has a very good shot to get there this year. You got KD, who's one of the most skilled shooters that we've ever seen. You got Kyrie, who's one of the best handlers, if not the best handler in the game. And James is just a knockdown shooter wherever you place him on the court. I think the additions that Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge bring, I think they're going to be solid because they add some depth. And Blake has actually looked pretty good so far. He does look like he has like some bounce in his step. And, who knows? Could could Blake be kind of a, a surprise going into the playoffs where he could go out and maybe average 15 points a game if he's if he looks to be healthy? He looks great right now. So I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't expect anything less from him moving forward and especially in the playoffs. And with Lamarcus Aldridge, look, his defense isn't probably the best asset to his game, but he can go out there and get you a good 10, 15 points just shooting those 
15 to 20 foot mid-range jump shots. And he's going to be a solid presence down low. Granted, he's not going to be like, you know, Andre Drummond, you know, getting, you know, 15 rebounds a game, but he's going to be a solid presence for them down low. So then you look across the board and the rest of the team, Joe Harris has been consistent the entire year. DeAndre Jordan's been iffy, but even with that said, though, I'm not really worried about Brooklyn in the regular season. I think they're, they're going to finish as the number one team in the Eastern Conference. It's just whether or not that they could actually hold this up in the playoffs because their defense is going to get tested in the playoffs. And can they actually still go out and score the way that they have been when it counts in these playoff games? I would tend to say yes, just because of the veteran leadership that Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving bring. And then when you add in the depth players like LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, I mean, that's tough to beat. And I don't know if there's a team in the Eastern Conference that's deep enough to actually go up against them and win four games in a seven-game series. It's, it's a, That's a tall task for teams like Philly, and Milwaukee. And to me, those are really the only two teams that have a decent shot at beating Brooklyn this year. I don't think Miami can do it. I don't know if they have the pieces to go out and do it like they did last year to get to the finals again. But I, I realistically only see maybe the Bucks and the 76ers really give the, giving the Nets a run for their money here. So I'm going to be blunt and bold here. I'm going to, I'm going to have a crazy hot take. I think this is the greatest big three that's ever been assembled. I know that they do not have a championship to back it. I understand that completely. I comprehend that wholeheartedly. They got to bring hardware before that is a solidified statement. I'm saying we have never seen a big three, not only established in their own right individually, but be as productive as they are on the court together. So we know that Kyrie has always been Kyrie in Cleveland, in Boston, wherever he needed to be. KD's been the man since he stepped foot in the league. And James Harden was running shit in Houston and was probably a game away if, or an injury away with Chris Paul to go to an NBA Finals. Um, but we all know that all of them have the capability of scoring 30 in an instant. We all know that when they're on the court together, they're not fighting for who's taking the last shot. They're not going out there and they're not debating of, you know, can they, can they, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Can they play cohesive basketball? Can they get their teammates included? We all know James Harden has been very unselfish in his time here in Brooklyn. And we all know KD, like that famous video shows um, when he was in Golden State and all of them were pointing at each other saying he needs to shoot it, but they were all wide open. So KD doesn't have a selfish narrative behind him I would say that Kyrie is probably the more complicated player because of his off the field and uh, off the court antics uh, a lot of his media interviews um his inability to kind of show up for games where he's like oh I just want to take a day off I want a mental day or he just like you know goes off for a week and says I just need I need personal time other than that the three of them their pure talent is just Un, un, unmatched. I mean, obviously, we know Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and 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 LeBron James brought two championships to Miami, and they had five, four finals appearances in that big three's tenure together. But we all know wholeheartedly, Chris Bosh underperformed that entire four years. Chris Bosh was not one of those. He was not putting up consistent numbers like Dwayne was. Uh, he was not 
putting up Toronto numbers because he wasn't the focal point. It was Braun and Wade pretty much doing everything. And and Chris Bosch had spurts of appearances where he'd have 20 plus or have, you know, like a double double or have maybe even a 30 point game. It wasn't as common as these three fucking super mega stars. They could all drop 30 together and, and, and they, and, and, and it, they could potentially lose because of how bad their defense is or if because that uh, their, their bench or supporting cast doesn't show up. I didn't even get to the acquisitions of LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. I'm talking solely big three. If you were to list a bunch of big threes in NBA history, culminating together and being successful, again, I know that they haven't won yet, but I'm saying if they were to hoist the trophy this season, they might go down as the best big three in NBA history. And I think that that is because they are all just, yo, you you got the hot hand. All right, cool, cool, cool. I'm I'll, I'll just you know I'm gonna score 15, 20 points. You go for 40. Okay, do you hot? Uh, do you think, bro? Like they don't care who shoots. And it's like that saying always goes: if I gotta eat, if I'm gonna eat, everybody's gonna eat. And the three of them are are, are scary when they're hot, man. And it's showing that this they they already have the highest ranked or highest. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Highest officiated. It's offensive rating. They have the highest offensive rating in NBA history. The Mavericks just broke that last year with like 115, 116 points per game or whatever the hell that was. Brooklyn's damn near averaging 130. It's, it's, it, I stand by what I said. I have no regrets and I will not back down upon it. These three together have the potential to be the greatest big three of all time. Wait, did you say potential or do you think that they are? The difference between the two okay so i think that they are but i'm saying in the grand scheme of things i know people don't share my opinion they okay. have the potential to be over time in regards to everybody else's opinion i already think that they are okay i won't go that far i think they're great i mean when you have Kyrie, james harden and kevin durant all on one team yeah the team's gonna absolutely light up just light up the court as far as like scoring points goes but when I look at somebody like maybe the Golden State Warriors a couple of years ago with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson, I would probably go with them simply because of the fact that Katie and Steph are clearly one of the they're like they're two out of like the top five greatest shooters ever. And when you have somebody like Clay Thompson who's probably one of the best two-way players in the league, arguably one of the best defensive players in the backcourt in NBA history in like the last like 15 years or so, as far as just his defensive skills go. I like them a little bit more simply because of what Clay brings with his skill set. Defensive versatility. He, he adds that defensive presence that, when you look at the trio of James, Kyrie, and Kevin, you don't necessarily have. Can they play defense when they need to? Yeah, but I would take Clay all day over any of them when it comes to their defensive presence and what they can do on that side of the ball. But and you look at what Golden State had. I mean, their one Achilles injury away when KD tore his Achilles from getting a three-peat. That's how good they were. I mean, they were instantaneous favorites to go to the finals once KD got there. And had KD not tore his Achilles in the Toronto series in the finals, 
they were going to get the three-peat. And mind you, had they actually gotten that three-peat, they would have only gotten the fourth three-peat in NBA history. There's only been three. Two of them were with Jordan, and then the other one was with Kobe. Kobe and Shaq. So... That's the thing, and usually those those these big threes they don't hang around long. Pretty much the shelf life on these trios is usually about three to four years. So, could Brooklyn go out and do it the way that they have with these three guys? Yeah, maybe, but they got to win at least one title first before I can Agreed. even. Make the assertion or the jump to kind of put them as the greatest trio ever. I would still probably give it to Katie, Steph, and Clay, just because those guys were automatic when they hit the court. And they so got, you're telling me they, in they, a hypothetical three on three, you have Kyrie versus Steph, KD versus himself, Clay versus James. You are taking Golden State over that big three. Yes. Yes. Because. Well, I mean, Katie. It's I mean, Katie's in both of them. Katie cancels it out, like pretty much yeah. relatively. I the thing is, who is going to stop Steph between Kyrie and James? Kyrie knows how to play defense. When they had their matchups and they were both healthy, those were great matchups. Like going shot for shot, Kyrie. That's obviously fair. taking advantage of Steph's inability to defend on or off the dribble. And if Steph's cold, Steph's cold. You have to bank on Steph being hot. I get that. But the thing is, I could put Clay on James and slow him down. I'm not going to be able didn't to stop. You say, didn't you say that he was probably one of the best scorers in the world? Who? He'll get his shots up. Didn't you say that James is probably one of the best scorers? James is one of the, the best. General- he is. He is. He's going to get his I, points. He, he's he's going to get his points. But – I would at least give Clay a decent shot to slow him down. I'm not saying that he's going to lock him oh, up. Yeah, yeah but, no, he'll slow him down. But 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 give me somebody to pick to go one on one with James. I would ha- I'd pick Clay without any hesitation. He's one of the Agreed. best defenders in the league. It's either that or Kawhi. Between one of those two, but I would take Kawhi. I would take uh, Clay in this sense because you know he's in that that trio between KD, Steph, and Clay. So. Yeah, no, I I respect your opinion. You know what I'm saying? I just I thought I'd throw that out there as like a little added bonus for the for the audience, just because I don't know, like when you have, as I stated before, when you have three megastars that were already on their own, and then they come together and they dominate like as effectively as they have been, and three of them just do the three of the. It, it sounds like something out of two K. Like it sounds like something out of my league. Yeah, like it's just like yo, I, I feel like putting. Let's put James Harden on the Nets, bro. What, what, what could happen? And then simulating the yeah. season and saying, oh, shit, they actually won the finals. Like, when you have those three guys on the fucking one team, it's definitely possible. So, I think Clay I just is, think Brooklyn, Brooklyn's on a pace, bro. Brooklyn's kind of getting me a little nervous. Yeah, because Brooklyn right now, they're looking like a pretty – They're looking like a shoe in the – They're looking like a shoe in to get into the finals at this point. They look scary, bro. But the thing is, is can they keep it up? It's one thing to keep a torrent pace throughout the entire regular season. And I could look to Milwaukee for the last two years. They're one of the best offensive scoring teams in the league. Yet when crunch time hits in the playoffs, they can't score. Granted, there are two different teams between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. But 
I think Brooklyn's actually going to be set up pretty nicely going up against pretty much any team in the Western Conference, not the Western Conference, in the Eastern Conference going into these playoffs. I'd be hard-pressed. It'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that's going to win four games in a seven-game matchup against them. I just, I just oh, yeah. don't happen. Walking mismatches everywhere, everywhere you go. If somebody calls an ISO, you but you but help, help. Yeah, it's and someone's gonna be open. So I, I, that's how I, it works. I feel bad for the guy that's gonna go one on one against KD. I feel bad. I don't yeah, know who's bad gonna... for anybody that's gotta go into KD. Bro, it could be a double when you when you when your jump shot is like damn near nine feet in the air. I'm 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 I feel bad for anybody. But this is gonna be a segue into our what if segment of the day. Kyle has the question. I don't know if you also want to call it a bodega moment for me because Lord knows I've been kind of saving this inside for some time. You know, it's been, it's been, it's been fermenting. You feel me? Like it's been just churning. It's like I'm churning the butter. It's the shake weight. Like I'm just, it's in there, bro. I'm ready for it. Let's tell the audience what this what if segment is going to be about, big dog. All right. So this what if segment is about the Houston Astros cheating scandal from a couple years back. I think everybody can clearly remember the scandal that rots Major League Baseball when the Houston Astros were caught cheating by stealing signs through video cameras. They were smashing trash cans. They were making a concerted effort to try to get an advantage on the teams that they were going up against. I believe in the 2017 season and the 2018 season as well. So the what if question that I'm going to pose to Kevin is simply this is, what if the Houston Astros had not cheated? What would the result have been for Major League Baseball as a whole? So, first and foremost, my opinion on this is 100% my opinion and mine alone. I do not care if I share it with anybody else, and I don't care if I come across rude. We all know we've all played baseball. Stealing signs is not illegal. Everybody knows, you know, you try to pick up on the other team's signs, whether that's pick up on eye contact, hand signals, anything you can do, scouting reports, it's okay. It's how Houston went about it that makes it illegal. With the camcorder and the, and the, uh, and the, and the trash can in the locker room or in the dugout, obviously telling basically all batters that are up, hey, this is coming or lay off. So, Kyle, I'm just going to really quick bounce it back to you because you played a lot longer than I did. I'm going to get into my opinion on the what if segment. You're sitting in the batter's box. And I don't know if you are contact hitter, power hitter, whatever. The point is, you know, you got a fucking curveball coming at you inside and you got to just sit on it. What are you doing, bro? You, you Are you taking that? Are you sitting? Are you watching it? Like, just think about this. Your entire season, you will know at every at-bat what the fuck's coming to you. Is that not an unfair, unspeakable advantage? Do you, do, 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 like, is that not ridiculous? If I got a curveball coming at me and I know that that's coming, if it's somewhere anywhere near the center of the plate, it's going to be similar to what Jose Altuve did against Aroldis Chapman. That's what's going to happen because I know it's coming. And the one thing that I was actually really good at was actually hitting curveballs. I remember that we used to have we used to have a pitching machine in the back of our gym and we could set it to throwing curveballs. And I remember this one batting drill that we did was just trying to hit a curveball. And there were some players on the team that could hit it. But 
I was one of the only players that could actually consistently hit off of that curveball the, the way that they set the machine up. Now, you transition that into a game situation where I know it's coming from whoever is sending me the signal to tell me that it's going to be a curveball. All I got to do is just sit on it, wait till it at least looks good coming towards me, and then it's going yard. It's that simple. It wouldn't matter if it's a curveball. It wouldn't matter if it's a fastball, whether it's a changeup. If I know it's coming, I'm like, okay. If it's close to the plate, if it looks good enough, I'll take a whack at it, see what happens. And more than likely, if it's a curveball and it it hangs over the plate, it's out of there like Jose Altuve did against Chapman. It's that simple. So I'm just obviously going to get back to the topic. I just wanted to get your thoughts because, again, you played so much longer, and obviously everyone always brings up the topic of, oh, it's not that serious, or, oh, people use steroids. And I'll get into that in a few minutes. Um, I just wanted to get into the topic of what would have happened if they would have never cheated. I don't know. Baseball would be fucking normal. We wouldn't have had this whole ordeal. We wouldn't have had to go see why Rob Manfred is absolutely ridiculous and a, a completely spineless uh uh, commissioner in this league um if the houston astros don't cheat this that this has nothing to do with the yankees like i'm just letting everybody know this is a complete bias aside we obviously don't know if houston gets to where they are we don't know if they have the season that they do we don't know if they even make it to the postseason and if they do if they succeed the way that they did um i truly and honestly believe the Los Angeles Dodgers would be currently working on a dynasty similar to what the Yankees did in the in, in the ninth in, in the nineties um, obviously in 2017, the Astros beat the Dodgers to win their first world series. Uh, the following year, the Dodgers lost to the Red Sox in the world series in which Alex Cora was the bench coach for the Astros the season before. And he brought that method completely over to Boston and they won the world series. So, I mean, I truly and honestly believe the team that, 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 that the LA had, the, the, the core, the fundamentals, everything, management from top to bottom. I think that the L.A. Dodgers were completely robbed of a multitude of championships. And I think that the punishment for these scandals was absolutely bullshit. I think it was the softest thing that could have been done. I think that we need to reevaluate what major uh, sporting events. I think we need uh, – not, not sporting events. I think we need to – revisit the punishment for what's like, like the NFL, the NBA, what are those, or those organizations or those like associations, whatever the, like the entities, I think the major sports entities, the four families, whatever the hell you want to call it. I think we truly honestly need to reevaluate the punishments that's uh, that are, that are handed down because AJ Hinch and Alex Cora was suspended for the year. They lost some draft picks and they were fined the maximum amount of money that they could have been fined, which was like a million dollars. Major fine. League Baseball it, it, teams. Five. They got fined $5 million. Like it makes Major League sense. owners wipe their ass. Bro. We're talking about franchises being multiple billions of dollars, $5 million. So, so you're telling me in the NCAA, right, you can take away a national championship and a Heisman Trophy for a student cheating on an exam or receiving money to go to a school, but a team that enhances their complete odds to winning a championship gets a slap on the wrist and all of the players walk scot-free because the MLB made a deal with them that said, 
we just need you to publicly admit that you did this and you will receive immediate immunity. What did they really lose? What does that encourage? Nothing. That doesn't deter them from doing it again. That doesn't take away another team's opportunity to go and cheat their own way. That basically just said, well, we got away with it. So fuck it. I'll take a suspension for a year as long as I get to keep my banner. I'll take a $5 million fine that I don't have to pay for in regards to the players or the coaching staff. The owner's going to pay that. What is $5 million? It's just dropping the fucking bucket. To, to these people, I think that this is ridiculous. I think that Rob Manfred completely needs to, to, to just resign based off of just these punishments alone because he's – we already talked about a couple of episodes ago or last episode about what we need to do about getting this man on second and extra innings thing over with because Rob Manfred's already been, I don't know, a baby back bitch since it started. I just I, – I just – I hate how he runs this league. And we're talking about you legitimately looked these players in their eye knowing they cheated and said, it's going to be okay. He'll pay for it. What does that do? That's like telling a kid not to steal and then saying, yo, you're not going to get in trouble for it. Just let me know you did it. Like, he's just going to steal again. It, it ruins the integrity of the game. It ruins the integrity of the sport. And I just, I truly and honestly believe that the Dodgers were robbed. And I think that the, the, the Houston needed – I think that they needed their title stripped immediately. Like, they just – they didn't deserve it. They just owned up to cheating that whole season. 162 fucking games, bro. That's a whole – not including postseason. You cheated the whole way to get where you wanted to – there's no way they succeed as much as they did if they didn't cheat. I know. You're just super tight about that because of the Yankees. I, there's a but part, it's besides but that. I, I, I know, but, but I'm just saying that adds a little bit more fuel to the fire of when it comes it to this. Of so it it's just, look, it's just one of those things. Like when I look back at this whole situation, I think the part that really kind of bothers me is the whole player immunity thing because they directly were impacted by this because now you know what's coming towards you. Like when it comes to these pitches that are either going to be a fastball, a changeup, a curveball like whatever the case may be they're all in on it they know exactly what's coming and i i do think that the whole immunity thing was kind of bogus simply because bullshit when you look at the result that when you look at what happened going into spring training that next year all of those houston astros players were acting super smug about the fact that they just got off scot-free without really any sort of reprimand because they didn't get anything. They just went into the next season without any sort of suspension, any sort of penalty. And it's like, okay, it's like, we don't even really care that much. It's like, we got away with it. So what deal with it. And I think that's, I do think that sends kind of a wrong message and I'm, I'll go this far. I think the situation that Houston went through, I think it was worthy of an entire year suspension, the entire season. I'm talking about everything. Players don't play. The team doesn't play for a whole year. You're you're gone. But the only reason why that that probably wouldn't be practical is I remember the MLB was kind of talking about this when they were, I guess, thinking about the whole, what are we going to do to penalize them? Um, The MLB was worried about the potential standoff between them and the player union and all the grievances that were going to be filed. And, the MLB didn't think that they were going to be able to win most of the grievances filed 
against the players or against the MLB from the players, I should say. So that was, that's kind of like one of the little finer details into why those players got a slap on the wrist. If it were up to me though, I'm just saying if I were in Rob Manfred's shoes, that cheating scandal is probably worthy of a year suspension for the entire team and everybody who's associated with that team. But it's, it's really hard to actually suspend a professional baseball team for a full season. I mean, you're talking about millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue loss. If you suspend an entire team and something like that, like when it comes to a professional team, that would be unprecedented if they'd actually gone through with it. But I don't know if it, how practical it would have been. Do you think that the, the title should have been recused? Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. So it was, it was so the whole year. It was the whole. It was the whole year. If it was like a part, why, uh, if it was a part of the point, year, it'd be different. But know? if it was the entire year, girl, it's, it, that's why I bring up the point. Reggie Bush lost his Heisman. I don't remember exactly what it was. He he did something he wasn't supposed to. Was it the boosting that the, was it because he received money or was it because he cheated? I couldn't tell you. Like in terms of like in the classroom, regardless, right? So you're telling me a kid who is going to a school to play a sport receives a certain amount of money that is Im- against the rules. Improper it, benefits does, 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 is what does, they say. Do, Improper benefits. Does it does it does it affect his play on the field? Does it change? Does, does, does he cut less because he has money in his pockets? Does does he not perform? Does he have any additional physical attributes that are going to make him play football better? They're going to make the case that it affects his eligibility. That's what they'll make. But, but that, so, so him receiving money that doesn't affect his play. No, it doesn't affect his play. On the, but so the people on the Astros, the players on the Astros that literally are being paid to play this game know exactly what's coming and is directly affecting their performance doesn't lose the championship that they didn't deserve. Like how do you take away someone's efforts and work from an entire, from an entire season, whether that's college football or professionals, if someone had a great year, why are you taking away the, the thing that they worked so hard for? because they received improper benefits. I only use it from this example because college is really quick to take things away from people and take titles away and make, you know, draft classes and, or should I say recruiting classes ineligible because of previous endeavors. And death penalties. Yeah. But, but, but you're telling me that a professional team in which they already know they're not supposed to do that, in which they've already made it to the top of the top in which they've already, uh, you know, assumed the position of a professional athlete, doesn't get reprimanded for doing something they shouldn't now here's the steroid portion of it right so everybody knows the entire steroid scandal that has happened all across baseball for multitudes of years um so for those of you that are unaware when you use the wood bat thing and you hit the the the, the string ball you still have to make contact um because you know you can be as big as a house and if you miss that means you suck so you can use as many steroids as you want, but if you're not putting the ball in play, what use are the steroids? Now, if you're juicing and you know what the pitches are coming, of course, you're going to crush every ball, but you can't compare. One is a performance-enhancing substance that doesn't make you better at the game. It makes you stronger, and it makes the contact that you do make with the ball a lot better, 
or more powerful, should I say, but that doesn't make you a better baseball player. Mm-hmm. Cheating with sign stealing, if I know, like Kyle said, if I know a changeup's coming or if I know to sit back because that's going to be outside, I, that makes my job as a contact hitter, which I was in high school, a shit ton easier because it goes, I'm not going to stretch out. I'm not going to try to extend this. I'm not just going to, I'm not going to try to, 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 to extend this at bat. You know, I'm not going to try to stay alive because I already know if I hear that trash can banging and I know what two bangs is a curveball or no sound at all means fastball, I'm chilling. I don't got to worry about nothing. But people are going to sit here and tell me that 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 punishment was enough or the steroids are worse. No, dumbass. If the fucking ball doesn't go into play and I'm the strongest fucking person in the MLB, it doesn't make me a good baseball player. That makes me an idiot that can't hit. But if something's coming and I know it's coming and I can be this fucking skinny and I can take it outside, I'm going to fucking do it. And I've just had enough. It just, it's bullshit. And I think that these players absolutely, like Kyle said, they should be suspended. It's some form of reprimanding. What the fuck does, what, what does suspending a manager do? What does that do? He's going to be reinstated the next season. He got fired and now AJ Hinch is on the Detroit uh, Tigers. So Alex Cora is back on the fucking on, on in the dugout with the Red Sox. No, no. So, so, so the players walk scot free, the coaches get a slap, and the owners pay a fucking ticket. So the banner stays up there with an asterisk and all this shit. People are fucking talking about Barry Bonds should be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Meanwhile, he fucking juiced the majority of his goddamn career, and people are bitching about him going into the Hall of Fame, but nobody seems to give a shit about it. An entire team cheating to win a World Series. I don't give a fuck about no individual accolade, bro. You took a championship away from another team. You literally cheated every aspect of the game. Integrity and honor aside, bro, you literally said, bro, bro, we got to win any way possible. We're going to do it like this. No, no, absolutely not. This this what if, this this whole scenario is – it should be talked about more. And I think that all sporting events, all sporting organizations need to reevaluate recusing of t- uh, the, the, the recusal of championships. If you cheat or if you do something that you shouldn't have done that season, college fucking does it. They'll take away all fucking rights to a damn school. They take away all fucking banners and, 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 and recruiting classes and coaches and fines and discipline. Bro, the, the professionals that know they shouldn't do this. Not that a college kid shouldn't. Bro, grown men know they shouldn't be doing this, and they get no punishment whatsoever. I think that's ridiculous, bro. You punishing kids more than you punishing grown men. That's what it comes down to, and I think that's fucking dumb. There's not really a lot more else that I could add. I think you pretty much just hit the nail on the head. I mean, just kind of like a little separate topic, though. Um, you imagine like if you're gonna use some sort of performance enhancing drug. Great, that I know steroids were big back in the day. Wouldn't it like you use like Adderall now to kind of get a better focus while you're at bat? Wouldn't I think Adderall be a little bit more effective than using like anabolic steroids? I'm just I'm not, I'm, mean, not, I'm not advocating I'm not advocating players go out and use Adderall. I'm not saying that, but if you're going to cheat, as you know, as you could say. It would seem to me that probably using Adderall would probably be a better performance-enhancing substance to use than steroids. I mean, steroids, you're going to get jacked from it, and you get freaking roid rage from it. But at least with Adderall, you could probably focus a little bit better. 
I mean, it really depends. I mean, not everybody reacts to Adderall the same way. Obviously, when I think of Adderall, because of our age, I think of college, you know, all-nighters, homework, focusing on, on books or, or trying to crunch some the notes for a test or something. When we're talking about a physical activity, I don't know if that's going to be physically possible because based off of, I again, for the disclosure of YouTube, uh, I, I've never taken Adderall. I've just, I've never done it before. I know plenty it's of people like a, have. I'm not advocating people use Adderall. I'm just saying this is based off of what I've heard from personal stories and, you know, people telling me what they felt. Um, a lot of people told me they lost their appetite. Um, a lot of people told me when it wore off, they felt like death because they hadn't eaten in a multitude of hours and they just they, you know their brain was overloaded because they were doing whatever they needed to do again this is in reference to college so when you put it into a professional atmosphere you got to eat as an athlete you can't sit there all day and not fucking touch anything because you would have to take that before the game to make sure that you're focused by the time game time came up i don't know how long adderall lasts i know it goes by prescription or by you know by milligram or whatever so i'm sitting here and i'm thinking would a baseball player be able to be as flexible, as active, as open-minded as he would be to perform at the top of his game? I get the whole focus portion of it, but like, I don't know what it would do for a physically active motion or a physically active activity versus what a lot of people I know used Adderall for, which was to sit down, focus, and you know, like conquer down for academics. So I, I get where you're coming from. Again, I know you're not advocating the use of any drugs. I'm just saying, I don't know if that would be applicable in this particular situation because I don't know the physical effects of it during physical activity. Well, I know in the NFL, like that was actually kind of like the preferred choice of drug. It was Adderall. That and weed, yeah. Well, I'm just saying like when it, because I remember, I think even Richard Sherman, I think he got suspended because of Adderall use. Back when he Maybe. was, with C- I think, I remember him getting suspended for something. And I believe it was Adderall. Don't quote me on that, but I, I think it was Adderall that he got suspended for. Um, that was back. That was back That was back early in the, the Legion of Boom days. But yeah, you could just look. You could look up certain articles where, back in the day, and even probably still now, where Adderall is a, is a very favorable choice for. These NFL players, I don't know what it is for the MLB. might be a little bit different, but I think even Sterling Shepard, you know, wide receiver for the New York Jets, has always said that. Giants. Yeah. What did I say? Jets. Oh, Giants, whatever. Um, they both suck. But um, I was about to say, same dumbs are fired to a certain extent. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, that's, that's kind of one of those things that that was actually his preferred choice. It was Adderall. Yeah, I mean, again, I've never taken it, so I don't know what it does. Maybe some athletes love it because it does put them in that focused or zone zone or, or that 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 mental zone that they need to be in. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, you know, thinking if, about it from a baseball perspective. It's just like, how would someone, why would why would someone want to be that focused in a baseball game? Because obviously, depending on your position, you may not even see any activity in the outfield. Or if you're like a relief pitcher, you may not get into the game for another like three hours. You know what I'm saying? It just, it really depends. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if it would work. I mean, football, maybe because you're consistently active, no matter what you're doing, you know what I'm saying? Unless you're on the sideline, but it's just a matter of how long are you on the sideline for? If it improves your focus, I mean, I guess, but yeah. At, at, yeah, what, no, I, I at, at what point do you cross the line of like, okay, you're using it as just a human growth, growth hormone at that point. It's just kind of like, yeah, it, it, there's probably a fine line. 
between, okay, you're using it for medical purposes and then you're using it to get an advantage. Yeah. But to transition into probably the, the most depressing topic of the day, and I'm glad that it's the final topic. Um, I remember Kevin and I, we were talking about whether or not we should start with this. So the episode would get better from there, but we decided to save this for last. And I remember Kevin mentioned it at the top of the episode. So Philip Adams, former NFL player, was in a situation where he murdered five people in a mass shooting. I believe he also shot another person. I believe that person is still in the hospital in very serious condition or critical condition. Um, and afterwards, after Adams had murdered five people, he ended up committing suicide shortly afterward. Um, this is just like a this is a horrific story on every level, and it's rare that Kevin and I discuss these kind of stories because it's very uncommon that you hear any sort of professional athlete any situation like this where the person that is the most recognized person in the story is the actual gunman obviously we know some of the standouts like with Aaron Hernandez where he murdered Odin Lloyd and then was also involved in a double homicide that took place in Boston but nothing was pursued as far as charges against Hernandez in that case. But even so, it's really unusual to see stories like this. And Kev, I just wanted to get your thoughts on just this tragic story coming out of, I believe it was North or South Carolina. South Carolina. I mean, um, first and foremost, I, my, my thoughts and my prayers are out there with the families of those lost ones. I mean, it, the, the call of, of getting that or the police station. I, I, I don't even want to think about it, man. I've gotten enough bad phone calls in my life where thinking about something like that would crush me. But again, you know, thoughts and prayers are out there to everybody that's been affected by this tragedy. Um, athlete or not, there is no one on this earth that should take another life. So, I mean, there's that, 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 that's doesn't need to be said, but uh, you know, for the sake of the video, of course, nobody needs to go out there and do what he did. Um, I don't know. I'm no doctor. I'm just, I'm thinking out here what could have happened. Um, you know, typically when athletes go out there and do things like this, it's because they're not, you know, right in the head. I don't know if he had a prior medical condition, like a mental health disorder, or if maybe he was affected by CTE. Maybe he had too many concussions. Um, my first thought goes, of course, like I just said, to the concussion portion of it, like how many hits did he take? Did that really change his psyche? Did that change his mental after he retired or walked away from football, did he fall into, uh, did he develop a mental health issue? Um, that's why that movie with Will Smith concussion really does kind of speak volume because you truly do not know how bad someone's mental or how bad their brain is until well after they're dead. You know, you don't know how those hits affected them throughout the day. Again, I'm not saying that that's what the result of it was or why he did that. I'm just, that's what, comes across my mind like why would someone that made it to the pinnacle of what they want would you know which would be status in the nfl or you know making it to the nba you know they, they, that person made it to an active roster and was getting paid uh an nfl salary so you kind of just wonder like a guy that had it all why would you succumb to something as low as this or something as terrible as this and the only thing that really like logically makes sense is that maybe something was off up there because of football or prior and then football made it worse. So um, 
again, you know, thoughts and prayers out to those family members. But I mean, the autopsy will show, God willing, in the next few days, and we'll we'll, we'll be able to at least try to figure out was it CTE related or was he just going through something. This is just a story that is just tragic on so many levels. I mean, obviously, you feel just deep sorrow and you just mourn for the families um, of the victims in this just just dreadful situation that they have to deal with. Um, It's one thing if it's just one person who got murdered by Philip Adams, but five? I mean, that's a mass shooting. And I remember, I believe the uh, the police chief that was overseeing the investigation called it as such. And it's very rare that you see something, you see stories like this. And I I remember on on sport, not, not on Sports Center, but on kind of the major uh, sports talk shows today, they didn't really make much of a mention about it. They didn't really dedicate an entire segment to what had just happened. Um, I remember back a couple of years ago when Aaron Hernandez was going through um, his murder charge, and that was nationwide news. Now, granted, it was Aaron Hernandez. Obviously, Aaron Hernandez was a more prominent player in the NFL at that time. But even so, it's just this story is it's just so shocking and it's so disturbing. Bone chilling. Yeah, it's just you don't usually hear these types of stories coming from professional athletes. It's just you you do kind of think about the whole CTE thing, whether or not that this played a factor in him going out and just killing these people. Um, I remember even his father mentioned something about this when he was interviewed today about it. And he was saying that his son was a good kid, but he said that, man, I think he thought that football really messed him up in the head. And it's like you said, the investigation or in the autopsy is going to probably, it'll reveal that in the next couple of days, whether or not that it was a factor or not, but it's just, it's just a God awful situation for everybody involved, including Philip Adams parents. It's like, there's no worse thing that you could receive than knowing that your son went out and killed five innocent people. I mean, took his wrong. own life. It, it, it's just like you have to feel for the the parents for Philip Adams' parents because, like, it's like there's no way that he that they would ever think that their son would ever do something as rash as what he did. It's just I, I could go on and on just about how like disturbing this whole story is. It's just one of those things. It's just it's just rare you see this from professional athletes. I don't, I don't know what really yeah. else to say about it. It's just, yeah, you just, you don't, you don't expect it. And then, you know, it, it kind of sits in the back of your head. Like, how could this happen? Why was it this person, you know, was, it, was something wrong with this person? It's just, there's so many thoughts to run through your mind, but it's like harping on it. Just, it just makes it that much more terrifying to know that it, it, it did happen. And it's and, just a little creepy. And it affects the entire community. The, I mean, the entire community was probably rocked by this whole thing. It's not every day that you hear, oh, there was a, a, a mass shooting that took place. And one of you know, the most prominent people in Philip Adams, probably in this area, was responsible for it. It's just like 
it really could shake it could shake an entire community and the NFL community at large is probably thinking it was like this is just it's just nuts. You just you don't hear about these things. If anything, you know, obviously the CTE issue is a major issue with former players in the NFL. And most and as tragic as it is, it's just you kind of hear more stories about guys that end up taking their own lives. I mean, Vincent Jackson a couple months ago. Took his we own still life. didn't get any word on what happened with that. Right? I mean, I don't know if he OD'd. I don't know if he took his life. It's just... Yeah, these but, investigations are going to take time. But it's just, you know, that's one of those things. It's like, as unfortunate and tragic as it is, you typically hear about these guys um, taking their own life instead of going out and actually committing homicides. It's one thing for suicides, but homicides are... It doesn't usually happen with professional athletes and with the with the professional athlete being the gunman. It just doesn't usually go like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, just, it, it, it's just, it's so tragic. It's so sad. Um, I just, there's no, like, there's no le- level of sympathy that I could express towards these families where they feel some sort of solace from it. They're, they lost their loved ones. Like it's, you could never replace that. Nope, never can and never will. And, you know, on that note, you know, we don't want to keep harping on it. We uh, we just wanted to say thank you guys for all the love and all the support over the last couple of weeks. You know, Kyle and I are trying to give you guys the best available content. Uh, we have realized that a certain trend in our in our numbers, you know, for whatever reason, NFL, NFL news is just kind of like on your guys' back burner. Kyle and I, of course, always the, being the football gurus and heads that we are, are always trying to give you guys updates on what's going on in the season. Um, the NFL draft is coming up upon us, so we do hope that you guys would like that because we do know that that's in about two and a half, three and a half weeks. So we'll, we'll, we'll play it by ear. If anything big happens, of course, we'll talk about it. But the smaller portions, you know, again, just based off of the data, it just does not seem like you guys are very interested. So Kyle and I are paying very, very, very close attention to uh, what you guys like, what you guys prefer, and what you guys, you know, want to hear from us. And we're just going to make sure that that is the content we put forward. It's just the NFL's out of season. It's the main thing. Yeah, and, and that's totally okay. You know what I'm saying? When it, when it gets in full swing, we'll be fine. The channel will be in its full swing. And, you know, maybe we'll be at 200 subscribers. We're at 138 right now. It's crazy. We're grateful. We're thankful. And uh, keep clicking the sub button, man. Y'all doing great. <laughs> keep doing what you got to do. I'm going to pat you on the back. We appreciate it big time on this side. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not much that I can really add here. Um, like Kevin said, just thank you for the support wherever we can get it, whether it's from Spotify, Apple Podcast, or just watching our YouTube videos. We definitely appreciate the support. Um, like always, we'll have two episodes for you guys next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet. Um, I imagine I'll probably throw in a quick roast about Gary Sanchez or just to get on Kevin's nerves for a little bit, but um, there's not really much going on right now. It's just, we're in the middle of the second half of the NBA season. Obviously baseball just started last week. So um, we got the masters coming up, right? Or is that currently the, being ma- played the, or something the, like the, that? the, the masters is actually this weekend. Um, so we're not really, maybe uh, we'll have something like that. Yeah, we could we could talk about it a little bit on if Tiger wins, maybe oh Tiger's a hurt. Never mind. Uh, I'll take it back. I'll take back what I said. Yeah, I'm not gonna talk about no masters. Yeah, we, we can mention who won it. Sure. 
compared to like I'm gonna know anybody that's not like Bubba Watson or Phil Mickelson. I'm surprised I even know that. I mean, that's two golfers. There's some other ones, but I mean, two's good. Go Roy McIlroy. <laughs> There's three. There you go. Good job. I'm doing but, my thing, man. I'm out here. But with that said, um, just once again, thank you guys for the support. And we will see you guys later next week. All right. Y'all have a good night, man. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid.